I'm a little, I'm a little choked up watching those children up here. It just kind of got me a little emotional. It was really, really powerful. So thank you, Peter, for that great children's time. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Marietta King is masterful at growing amaryllises. Make sure next winter you walk by Linford and Marietta's home on Lime Street and look in the front window. It's one of the joys that I have walking by their home every day on my way to church. Because in the window you will see a huge pot full of a huge amaryllis bulb blooming with multiple, multiple amaryllis flowers. It goes on every year, and every year I admire it. Every year she's able to get that bulb to bloom. And so I decided one year, a few years ago, that I too wanted to be like Marietta, and I wanted to get an amaryllis plant. And so I think I went to Walmart and got one of those packaged, you know, boxes with the, with the bulb and the pot and the ground all together, and I put it together, and I read the directions, and I watered it, and I watched it, and sure enough, here it came, up slowly, and yet quickly, the green part came, and it was growing, and it was growing, and it was getting taller and taller, and I was getting more and more excited. And it's one of those plants that grows almost every day, so you can watch it growing. And then the, the bud became clear, and I got excited, hoping that it would indeed be the red, deep red that they had promised. And just about Christmas time, it bloomed. It was gorgeous, a deep red amaryllis. I loved the flower, I loved the whole growing process. And so I asked Marietta that Christmas time, how do you get this to come back again and again? And she explained her process to me, how she would let it die, and then over the summer months she would actually put it outside and just let the natural rainwater and sunlight do its thing to it. She didn't touch a thing to it. And then she would put it in the basement and ignore it for a number of months. And then when time came, she would pull it back out, and the process would begin again. So that year, I did everything, everything to the T that Marietta had told me to do. I got the pot, I put it outside, I trimmed the leaves as she told me to, I let the rain, I let everything take its course, and then about September, I put it down in my basement, and goodness knows, that's a deep, dark basement. And so I left it down there, I didn't look at it, and when time came to pull it out, I did. And I didn't water it at first, because you're not supposed to water it for the first week or two. And then I did everything that I was supposed to do. And sure enough, slowly, green came to the, to the soil. And it started growing and growing. And then another leaf came, started growing more. But no bud, just green leaves, no flower, nothing just long green leaves. I was devastated. I had done everything exactly right. 
everything that Marietta was doing. And I walked by her house, and there was Sister Amaryllis in the window, blooming broadly. But I had no bud, no flower, just green leaves. The year before, it had been perfect. I attributed to the fact that I really don't have a green thumb. Today's gospel readings that Roland read to us from the about the parables that Jesus was sharing in the Gospel of Mark talk about the kingdom of God. What is this kingdom of God all about? Jesus' followers were asking him. And so Jesus decided it was time to really explain it. It's a term, actually, that we hear very often in the Gospels and even in our everyday speaking. And Jesus spoke of it often. But do we really know what the kingdom of God is about? Will we know when we are in the kingdom of God? Will we know when we're living in it? Will we be able to touch it? Or isn't it something that's tangible? Is it something that we just will experience in our hearts or in our minds? So Jesus attempted to explain this kingdom of God in the Gospel of Mark. He says, it's as if somebody went and scattered seeds all over the soil and just went and scattered them and scattered them and prepared them and then went into his or her house and cooked dinner and then the next morning came out and, oh, yep, the seeds are still there, looking good, and just went about his or her daily business and didn't do anything necessarily to cultivate the seeds after they were scattered. And amazingly, after the normal routines of life were taken care of, eventually the seeds began to sprout and they began to grow. And even the seed scatterer had no idea exactly how this had happened. That's the kingdom of God, Jesus said. But then Jesus also said that we can compare the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed is the smallest seed in all the earth. I thought about bringing some in, but then I thought, well, that would defeat the purpose. You wouldn't be able to see it anyway because they're so small. But it is one of the smallest seeds on earth. But as Jesus said, when it's sown and it's grown, it grows to be one of the biggest garden bushes around. As I read through these parables a number of times this week, I began to wonder how much of a role the sowers or the gardeners actually had. How much of a role do we have in the kingdom of God? The sower didn't seem to do much for cultivating the seeds, but yet the seeds grew. And they were ready for harvest when harvest came. Now, I guess that probably some of them didn't grow. Some of them got eaten up by birds, and some of them fell on rocky soil. But, but a majority of them grew, and the sower had little to do to make it happen but to put them out there. And the mustard seed, the teeny-weeny, eatsy-beatsy, tiny mustard seed, how could anyone guess that by planting this tiny seed, such a strong, powerful plant would grow? In fact, this week I read that a mustard seed, when growing, can break through concrete. It will crack open concrete. It is that strong when it begins to grow. And then I read the headlines from the newspaper this week. Former Sunday school teacher in California charged with murder of girl goes to court. Holocaust museum shooter published hatred for Jews and blacks. 
Pieces of glass found in chocolates closes Wilbur factory. Pastor with local ties accused of abusing boys. North Korea will never give up nuclear ambitions. It's easy to get pretty overwhelmed when we read the headlines in the newspaper or on the news. We hear violence and poverty, death, crime, natural disasters. And I read the newspaper this week saying, is this the kingdom of God? Have the mustard seeds been planted? Or are they still waiting to be cultivated? Is this the kingdom of God in which we are living? There probably wasn't much difference for Jesus. Things probably were fairly similar. Sure, the headlines might have been different, but the concepts were still the same. He certainly could look around Palestine and see evidence that the kingdom was not fully realized by many people. And despite Jesus' growing popularity, the task of trying to change the circumstances of people seemed quite overwhelming. Progress, even for Jesus, seemed very slow. And I would guess that his disciples and his followers might have felt discouraged at times. Sometimes we get so caught up in our world that we think that today's world is much worse off than any other generation has seen. I've heard that many times. And maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. But the truth is that there are always things happening in the world that cause us to grieve, that cause us to question, that cause us to hide, and that sometimes cause us to lose faith. We live in a world full of unfairness, injustices, cruelty, anger, and greed. Sometimes the world gets too much to handle for any one of us, and we throw up our hands in the air and say, how on earth, God, can I make a difference? And perhaps that is our prayer. Samuel prayed fervently to God. Samuel had just about given up in the world, too. Samuel needed direction. You see, King Saul had disobeyed God and, in fact, disobeyed Samuel, but Samuel was more worried about the fact that King Saul had disobeyed God. I mean, come on, how could he? Saul, God's words, the words that were delivered to Saul from Samuel were so clear, but Saul had disobeyed. And for that, God said, Samuel, you need to go and anoint a new king. Well, Samuel knew that was true. But he still really ached for Saul. He grieved for Saul. But almost like a kick in the pants, God said to Samuel, come on, get out there. We've got to get a new king anointed. Well, where was Samuel to begin? How could he begin? Samuel had to be careful. Actually, he had to be very careful. And this is a point that we don't see so much in the text. But if you know the political climate of the time, just because God told Samuel to go anoint a new king didn't mean that everybody else wanted a new king. And in fact, didn't mean that there was reason for a new king. Saul hadn't abdicated his throne. Saul was still alive. 
So in every political sense of the word, they still had a king, and many of the people were fine with King Saul. So in fact, Samuel's decision to go out and anoint a king by God's encouragement was a statement of treason. And he knew that he could easily be put to death by going against the king. And so that's why he had to be careful. He had to go under the deceitfulness or the deceptiveness, perhaps a better word, of offering a sacrifice to the Lord. So Samuel was walking on treacherous soil. His life was at stake. He was scared, but he trusted God. He trusted the audible, clear voice of God that he had heard. He had to make sure that this new king was right and was truly anointed by God. He had to trust God. So Samuel waited and prayed. And eventually... God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse. So Samuel went to Jesse's home under this disguise of offering a sacrifice, as God has instructed, and Samuel followed God's directions to a T. God had assured Samuel that one of Jesse's sons would indeed be the next king. So you can imagine how relieved Samuel must have been when he walked in and he saw seven boys lined up. This is going to be easy. And so Jesse began to introduce them, of course, starting with the oldest. And Samuel stood there. Surely this is the one that God has called me for. God has ready, God is ready to anoint this one. But God said no. No. But God said it would be one of Jesse's sons, and here he is, the oldest, the most respectable, the most logical. But God said, no, try again. And so Samuel tried again, and again, and again, and again, and again. He tried through all of Jesse's six more sons. And with each son down the line, each time Jesse introduced the son, Samuel heard a clear, distinct no. He had gotten to the end and still no yes from God. Hello, God. Uh, Yeah, you sent me here to Jesse's home to anoint one of his sons, and we just went through the whole line, and you're saying no to all of them. Come on, God, you're either mixed up or, or... So Samuel said to Jesse... Are these all your sons? I do have one more son, Jesse said, but he's the youngest, he's the shepherd, he's out in the field tending the sheep. And Samuel thought, this is a long shot. The youngest, a shepherd. But could you bring him in anyway? And so Jesse called for David. And Samuel heard God's, God's voice when David walked into the room. Rise. And anoint him, for this is the one. Samuel, too, had thrown up his hands in the air and said, I can't do this, God. Saul has really messed up. Saul is, has gone wrong. But how am I supposed to find a replacement? How can I? The world is too corrupt. The world is too evil and too scary. When we, like Samuel, are ready to quit, 
That's exactly the time when we need to go back to Mark 4 and reread these parables. William Keeney wrote in his commentary, the parables give both perspective and hope about the nature of the coming of the kingdom. On the one hand, they call for patience while waiting for results to come. A farmer can sow the seed and try to set the conditions to encourage growth, but still he can only wait for the forces to work automatically according to the nature of the seed and to bring for the life in its own time. End of quote. The kingdom of God comes about in the smallest of ways the ways that we most often least expect it. And we continue to promote the kingdom when we listen to the word of God, as Samuel did. We must tell ourselves that Jesus didn't choose perfect people to become his disciples. He didn't choose perfect people to be co-workers in the work of the kingdom. And God didn't choose perfect people when God chose us. God knows what God is doing. We hear of wars and violences and injustices and tragedies, and yet Joseph Pollard writes, through all that, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is among us and that it is growing imperceptibly day and night and that it will expand We don't need to be discouraged in the face of slow progress. These parables call us for continuing to scatter the seed, confident that God will produce the harvest in abundance. We cannot give up hope on the kingdom of God. This week, a friend of mine posted on her Facebook page a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It said, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. Emerson wrote this, even though at the time that he wrote this, he had already lost his father when Emerson was seven. He lost his first wife when she was 20. And he had lost his first son when he was five. And yet Emerson wrote, All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. There is evidence of the presence of the kingdom everywhere. If only we know how to interpret the evidence, Timothy Gettert writes in his commentary on Mark. You see, in the Gospel of Mark, we read of lives being changed, of people gathering around Jesus to learn God's will, people being restored to good physical and mental health, social outcasts are invited to dine with Jesus, food and drink are given to those in need in Jesus' name, and children are valued and welcomed into Jesus' inner circle. Disciples are learning that salvation is found in self-denial and self-sacrifice. These are the visible signs when we see them around us, signs of a kingdom that is truly being established. And we also must realize that this kingdom of God is not our sole responsibility. Sometimes, despite our best intentions, we try to do everything right and still. Our work seems fruitless. 
Our calling as disciples of Jesus is not to be successful, but to be faithful. After my failed attempt with my amaryllis plant, I was discouraged and ready to throw the whole thing in the trash can. But a friend of mine said, no, don't. I think sometimes amaryllis plants will bloom one year and not the next. Don't throw it out quite yet. So I just took the old thing and put it down in the basement, and I forgot about it. And this winter, I don't know, Lisa, when was it? Like January or February or something? I was down in the basement, and I, look, and I had the lights on. Well, you usually have the lights on when you're in the basement. But I turned on the lights, and I looked, and there was my amaryllis plant, and it had begun to grow. And it was about this tall, and the bud had even begun to form. And it was white, like pale white. It wasn't green because there had been no sunlight. And I brought that thing upstairs, and I put it in the sunlight, and I began to water it, and this thing just took off. And I laughed at how this plant had grown without me doing anything. It didn't even grow. It had no sunlight. It had no water. And this spring, this amaryllis bloomed more beautifully than it had ever bloomed before. Sometimes the fruits of our labors grow at times and places we never thought imaginable. Those who share in Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God are challenged to listen carefully, watch closely, wait patiently. All of this adds to the mystery and the beauty of the kingdom of God. Jesus knows that his stories are not easily understandable But in order to understand the parables of Jesus, we need to be close to Jesus. Jesus made them available to anybody who would hear. But not everyone who heard understood them. Those who understood the parables were not those of superior intellect, but they were those who stayed close to Jesus, who asked him for explanation, who listened to more parables that might explain the subject matter. So often we as Christians, and I think especially as Mennonites, we feel that our call to Christianity is to act. We've got to get out there and do something. But what these parables teach us is that our first act of faith is listening. It's staying close to Jesus and listening. Just a few verses earlier in Mark, in the same chapter, Jesus says, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Pay attention to what you hear, Jesus says. Samuel listened. Samuel listened intently. Instead of doing, maybe we are called today to listen, to wait, and to let the seeds germinate. And yet it's still mysterious. It's still hard to put a finger on it and say, there it is. That is the kingdom of God. But after all, The reign of God is bound to be unique, different, and to confound expectations. Otherwise, it would be confused with just any other kingdom on earth. And surely we know that God's kingdom is like no other. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are here this morning because somehow, in some way, You secretly planted a seed in our hearts and in our minds when we were sleeping 
just focusing on ourselves, just dozing off during the sermon, just daydreaming about nothing. You somehow got through to us, spoke to us, and enabled us to hear your voice. We are here this morning because you spoke to us. So speak to us this week, Lord. We will do our best to be wide open and awake. We will try to tune out, to tune our ears to your word for us. We will try not to listen to our own fears and reservations and instead listen for you to call each of our names. Lord Jesus, giver of the seed, giver of the growth, bring your word to harvest in us. Amen.